The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. So we continue to learn more about the gunman who murdered 22 people in Nova Scotia in April. We know that there were so many questions about what happened there. And and the more we find out, the more it's just like, what? Um, Newly unsealed court documents show that uh, the gunman was flagged for multiple suspicious transactions for buying items intended for police use, and I use it in quotes, and almost a half a million dollars cash withdrawal before the shooting spree. But it doesn't end there. The documents also include new details from the gunman's cousin and one of the other police officers who was injured. Brian Hill is an investigative uh, journalist with Global News. He's been tracking all of this, joins us this afternoon. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, let's start uh, let's start with um, these transactions, the, 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 the money transactions that were that were flagged. Tell us about them and, and um, how did how were they tracked? Why were they flagged? That sort of thing? Sure. Um, so uh, in Canada, anytime there is a deposit or a large purchase um, of above $10,000, financial institutions are required to report those uh, those purchases to the uh, to the country's money laundering watchdog. Uh, it's called FinTrack, and basically mm-hmm. they they monitor these large. Um, uh, transfers of money to uh, keep an eye on things and uh, with the aim of preventing money laundering. Um, so this, this, these reports happen all the time. But uh, with respect to the gunman, uh, what we've learned is that uh, he was flagged uh, for purchases, online purchases for items that were uh, intended for police use, um, in, including purchases uh, that were made through government surplus uh, websites, as well as uh, purchases uh, through eBay um, using his PayPal account. And so it's unclear uh, who exactly flagged uh, uh, these purchases, whether it was the financial institution that uh, mm-hmm. runs his bank account or, or that, that where the bank account was hosted, or if it was PayPal or eBay that, that would have flagged these. Um, we don't know. We also don't know when exactly uh, uh, these um, these notices or these reports were sent to the financial watchdog. Um, but uh, obviously these all occurred prior to uh, to the mass shooting or to the shooting spree, sorry, on April 18th and 19th. Um, and then we also know that he was flagged for a very large cash withdrawal, um, $475,000. Uh, he liquidated assets that he had held uh, at CIBC and then requested that those be deposited or be given to him in $100 bills uh, that that amount of money be given in $100 bills and uh, deposited to a uh, to a Brinks account, which was where he picked up that cash. Um, so yeah, those, those all of those instances were flagged to the financial watchdog uh, before the shootings occurred. And, and when they're flagged to the watchdog, do we know if they were investigated? I mean, what happens after they're flagged? 
Mm-hmm. So we don't know. Um, okay. What we, what we do know is that the, the reports were prepared by the watchdog um, okay. um, after the shooting. So on April 23rd or April 23rd mm-hmm. and then April 30th. Whether those were prepared at the request of the RCMP, who are obviously investigating the shooting spree or not, we, we again we don't know that. Um, but. Uh, Typically, uh, there can be delays in in terms yeah. of uh, between the time that these things are first flagged and when they, and when and if an investigation takes place. And we've seen that in other investigations we've done, for example, into um, suspected money laundering, uh, where there are these delays between uh, when these things are first uh, brought to people's attention and and whether or not an investigation is done. So obviously those are questions that uh, I think we still want answers to and hopefully we might get. As we move ahead, yeah, Brian, that that almost half a million dollars in $100 bills, I'm guessing we don't know where that ended up either right now. Um, so the, the, the one of the uh, one of the accounts of, of this withdrawal came from the gunman's ex um, or now ex um, common law spouse. Uh, so in the court documents, uh, what she talks when she talks about the, this payment in, in interviews with the RTMP um, following the shooting, she uh, said that the money was put into a fireproof bag. Uh, and then buried. Um, so that that obviously, uh, you know, given what we know about the shooting, not just the shooting, but also the fact that uh, the, the gunman had burned uh, a number of buildings, including his own home and um, pro- pro- two properties he owned and other properties. Uh, so uh, there was some foresight and planning uh, to this, it would seem, based on, on mm. the information that, uh, that, that it's in these court documents. And um, you know whether or not that money was recovered uh, also unclear that uh, that money that was uh, to be used um, intended for police use do we know what he bought with it sure. um, so I mean he was an avid uh, collector of uh, police um, police items, memorabilia, these sorts of things. We know that uh, he purchased at least four um, key commissioned RCMP police vehicles. So like, these are vehicles that he purchased through the government surplus website. Mm-hmm. Um, he had at least four of those. One of them was the replica police car with all the mocked up uh, police decals that he used uh, during the shooting spree. Um, the others were either found or burned. Um, and uh, so those were some of the purchases. He also purchased uh, items like uniforms and memorabilia. As we say, we know that he acquired a light bar. That's the thing that, you know, the, the police yeah. lights that go on top of the vehicle. Uh, he acquired that at some time. Whether or not that's a part of these purchases that were flagged, we don't know. Okay. The, the court documents don't provide specifics in terms of what the individual items were. But we know that the amounts are in excess of $10,000. Um, and uh, that, uh, that, that, that that's what triggers the, these purchases being flagged. Brian Hill joining us this afternoon, an investigative journalist with Global News and has been following um, the, the, the trail of the gunman who murdered 22 people in Nova Scotia in April. And we're finding out more and more information after, um, after court documents um, are, are, are revealed or, you know, uh, allowed uh, to be seen by different media outlets. You're talking about these vehicles, these, these replica police cars. And there's been a lot of questions 
question about how he was able to make it look so real. Can you tell me about Peter Griffin and his role in all of this? Sure. Um, so, yeah, there's some new details in there. Peter Griffin, is, is, uh, as folks may be aware, uh, was uh, sort of doing handyman work for, for the gunman. Uh, he had served some time in jail. Um, Peter Griffin had uh, had been released, was working and doing odd jobs for the gunman. Um, in fact, on the day of the shooting, he had, according to these documents, reportedly split some wood for the gunman and was paid that day. Um, so those are new details. But uh, Peter Griffin also uh, worked at a at a at a uh, like an auto um, labeling shop, like basically where mm-hmm. they do the, all the labelings and decals that we see on, on on cars, including police vehicles. And so it was this connection that enabled uh, the gunman to get these very very real looking. Um, RCMP decals onto the car. So uh, at first, when Peter Griffin was interviewed by RCMP following the shootings, he actually lied to them and uh, didn't tell them the full truth and and what he knew and what he had done. Uh, In a subsequent interview, according to these documents, he admitted to having assisted the gunman with producing some of those decals, including the number that we see, um, Mm -hmm. that picture that was circulated. Um, So, you know, he 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 participated in in producing those decals, which were then affixed to the car, um, which the gunman then later used in that spree. Um, and this he, Peter Griffin had a had a criminal history, right? Yeah. Well, and since he's also been returned, so he was on parole, and uh, essentially, the parole board has revoked his parole and sent him back to jail uh, as a result of uh, as a result of his his actions in this case. So, uh, no criminal charges have yet been laid with respect to, mm-hmm. to Peter Griffin, and not clear if any ever will be. Uh, but uh, at, at at present, he's been sent back to jail for violating his parole. And he had ties to a, to a Mexican cartel? Yeah, well, that's, that's what we're hearing. That's what the, the, those sorts of details have been released in the parole wow. board decision as well. Hmm. And, um, and, and to the extent that uh, the gunman was aware or, or that he was involved in that, we don't know. There had been, con- you know, there had been reports that he may have had associates uh, connected to the to the Hells Angels, for example, um, but the police thus far have said they've not found any evidence to substantiate those those uh, claims. Um, so that I, again, those are those are still things that we don't uh, fully understand. I think, and that perhaps the public inquiry or further investigation might reveal more on those more details. Brian. Brian Hill is an investigative journalist with Global News doing great work in uh, putting the pieces together of what happened uh, back in April of this year, April 18th, 19th, that shooting in in Nova Scotia that left 22 people dead, um, the gunman um, uh, dying as well. Now, you had mentioned uh, when we started talking, Brian, about um, the gunman's ex-common law and that uh, money in, in a fireproof bag and, and and, and buried. There were some other comments that she made in in some of these search warrant applications that have been um, released to the public. And what could, what did she say about his his state of mind about where he was at with everything that was going on in the days leading up to to this horrific horrific shooting? 
Yeah, so, I mean, there are a lot of details in these documents of just about the, the sort of mindset or mind frame that the, the shooter was in um, leading up to, to to the events of April 18th and 19th. And um, according to his uh, ex-common law partner, the, the, it was almost as if he uh, snapped. Um, uh, it was how she described it, essentially saying that uh, leading up to the shooting, he had become increasingly paranoid um, about uh, the novel coronavirus pandemic that he essentially felt like he was going to die uh, and that he was preparing for the end. Um, mm. So th there was really this um, this looming sense of dread that uh, had built up, built up, and built up within him, uh, according to to these documents, and had not just um, boiled over. And uh, you know, in in the day that the shooting occurred, uh, earlier in the day that the, he and his uh, common law partner had gone out on a drive, uh, and the documents seem to suggest actually that they almost. Um, almost drove pat like drove some to two and around some of the areas where mm. where he would then later uh, mm -hmm. uh engage in the shooting spree so the last victim that was killed uh gina goulet um the common law spouse uh, in the documents basically says well I, I didn't even don't even know how he knew where she lived but then she realized that earlier in the day well, on this drive, she had actually pointed out uh, Gina's home to the gunman, um, and then, you know, 24 hours later, uh, the gunman yeah. killed her at her home um, before he was then shot by police um, at a nearby gas station. So uh, there, there, you know, there all sorts of really chilling details there, just in terms of. Um, you know, even him pouring gasoline all over the, the, the his home in Puerto Peak, Nova Scotia, um, and and her efforts to try and escape from him, and and how she, wow. you know, couldn't. It was very, very, you know, running into the woods and, and fleeing, and hearing police, hearing gunshots, seeing the flames, uh, while while uh, you know, kind of hunkering down overnight in the woods. Um, at one point, she heard somebody over a speaker saying this is the police come out you know and and she she didn't because she was concerned that it was him um all the while you know Puerto Pico is burning um yeah and, uh, just a very uh, harrowing and, and wow account of everything that happened one of those other chilling and harrowing accounts comes from um RCMP constable Chad Morrison who was shot by the gunman what can you tell us about what 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 did what did he say in 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 these documents mm -hmm. yeah so it's the, it's the first time we're hearing anything from from constable morrison and and uh uh basically his account kind of describes uh what happened in the moments leading up to uh him being shot and the confusion is just absolute confusion that was uh, happening at that time the you know police had been looking for the gunman for nearly 13 hours by that point um and uh there was all sorts of back and forth radio chatter the, the constable morrison you know admits it was confusing it was unclear at the time where the gunman was 
he was in contact, radio contact with Constable Heidi Stevenson, who uh. um, who was killed by the by the gunman. Um, and uh, you know, so they were Constable Stevenson and Constable Morrison were communicating with each other. They had planned to meet up. Um, Constable, Morris, Constable Morrison didn't know where the gunman was. He saw a, uh. a vehicle in the distance that looked like a police car. Um, he assumed it was Constable Stevenson because he didn't know where the gunman was and and they had planned to meet near that location but then before he uh before he could do anything to stop it realized that it wasn't her and that it was in fact the gunman who um who pulled out a who stopped his vehicle pulled the handgun out and started firing at him from from within the car so he was essentially leaning out the window and firing a handgun uh, at him um, and just you know, just just incredibly chilling details here, and, and, and very vivid descriptions too. Yeah. And, you know, essentially, the the it was the hard. Uh, according to these documents, it was his hard um, Kevlar vest that saved his life um, and stopped the bullet from from entering its body. Um, so just uh, really, really uh, horrific details. Now, I know it's, uh, we're almost out of time here, Brian, and um, I mean, Global, along with a, a number of other media organizations, been working hard to have these uh, search warrant applications released, the redactions lifted to it. Um, the uh, the six ones that we're talking about, um, giving some details today, are we expecting to find out more, to see more of those uh, released in the very near future? Um, and and I guess also then, you know, what's next with the, with the staff? of the inquiry and everything like mm-hmm. that so I, I'm not entirely sure if we'll see more of these okay. documents we know there are more documents there are search warrants there you know there and there are also all the information the police have gathered during their investigation um, you know we, we as a, as an organization are continuing to pursue the, a lot of the unknown uh, unknown um, unanswered questions um, particularly around the RCMP response uh, to the shooting um, and and how 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 they how they handled the manhunt, um, you know. So we're still looking in, into those, um, still looking into all those angles. Uh, and of course, there's the public inquiry. Um, we don't yet have terms of reference uh, for that inquiry. We don't know when it will start. Um, but the public, um, the victims' families, many of whom we've spoken with, um, are very eager for this to get going. Uh, they want answers from the RCMP. They want answers from uh, uh, from everyone that was involved, and um, and, and you know, and there's there's also um, the pending class action lawsuit uh, against uh, the government and the RCMP as well. Um, so th- there are still a lot of things we we don't know. Um, we're uh-huh. learning more, um, and and the more we learn, the more uh, awful it gets. Well, um, yeah, I think. but but. Um, but yeah, I think the public uh, wants and deserves uh, answers to, to a lot of these questions that we, we just haven't yet been answered. I agree with you on that one, Brian. Brian Hill joining us this afternoon. Thank you for taking the time uh, and thanks for all your hard work on on this file. We'll continue to, 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 to watch it and uh, I look forward to talking with you again, Brian. Thanks for this. Thanks very much.